Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the No Bad Dogs podcast with me, Tom Davis, America's canine educator, the podcast where we love, live, and of course, work with dogs. Today, I have a, a, a friend and a guest on the show. His name is Pete Fisher. Pete Fisher is um, a, li- a liaison and, and also somebody who represents Dogtra, who makes uh, e-collars, and it's 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 a it's a partnership that Dogtra and I have, have done for 2020 to to work together to do the best we can to educate and to help people out with the remote collar process and education. And so uh, we're going to talk to Pete about his involvement um, going back to the early 60s of uh, the remote collar training and the history of the remote collar, and um, talk about Shot Show that we're doing here in a couple of weeks in Las Vegas. And so welcome, Pete, to the show. Hello, it's Pete. Hey, Pete. It's Tom. How are you doing? Good. How about yourself? Good, man. Sorry about the confusion on the uh, the time. I <laughs> so thought you were two hours behind me. Just no, no. I'm just one. Um, and that's yeah, you know, it's hard to figure out, Tom, because of all the work I do for Dogtra, you know, and they're two hours uh, behind me. Yeah. So right. Right now it's uh, seven twenty out there, and a lot of people don't realize that. Um, you know that I'm I'm not sitting in an office out there in uh, yeah in, um, in California, but anyway, it'll work. Uh, yeah. So let's just let's just roll right into it, Pete. And I don't want you to just tell everybody on the podcast um, who you are, what you do, how long you've been doing it, and uh, we'll go from there. Sure, um, I can do that, Tom. I um, kind of a jack of all trades, master of none, so to speak. Um, uh, my background is, uh, and and I'm older. I'm older than I probably sound or look. How's that? I don't know if that's good <laughs> or not, but um, uh, I'm high school educated, Tom. I live up here in Minnesota, Albany, Minnesota. Um, I did some construction work right out of high school. And then I was fortunate, Tom, to work for uh, a local dog trainer by the name of Lawrence Martins. And Lorne, as he, uh, everybody called him, he was a retriever trainer and uh, is actually in the uh, Retriever Trainers Hall of Fame. And so I worked for Lorne as an assistant. Uh, back many, many years ago, let's just say, and uh, it was a good gig. And then I got hired after that to work as a, a vet tech. And that's back in the day, Tom, uh, the local veterinary clinics uh, hired individuals and trained you to be a vet tech. Uh, they didn't send you off to school. That There was no such thing back then. That's, in- vet that's interesting. Yeah. So they'll, they'll actually do the vet tech uh, courses in-house. Uh, they just took me and, and trained me, uh, hired me and trained me back then. But again, we're talking ancient history back in about 1979. This was Tom. And, uh, so there was no such thing as going to, to school back then to be a vet tech. And so I worked there for a couple of years and, and then I, uh, uh, I was the early morning person at the, at the vet clinic. So I started training some dogs before I even had a facility, Tom, uh, just on the side, I'd go pick them up at people's houses, train them and drop them back off. And, Primarily, my background is retriever training, and I worked for another uh, local uh, retriever training kennel, kennel by the name of Deltone Kennels, 
which is a very large operation in St. Cloud. And I started on my own and uh, about the early 80s, Tom, is what uh, as uh, best I can put a finger on it. And and I got uh, purchased some land and, and our facility, Fishers Kennels and Hunt Club, is still in existence. Um, and I took it from training uh, and handling five dogs uh, in the facility. Uh, we purchased 360 acres and grew the facility and pretty soon I had a staff of people working for me. And uh, when we were full, we actually kept dogs with us, Tom, for boarding and training. Mm. Uh, I could handle 50 dogs at that facility. And it was no longer just me. Um, and so 10 years ago, um, I sold the business to one of my assistants. But I had uh, been with a, another remote collar training company called Tritronics. And I was on something called mm-hmm. Team Tritronics way, way, way back in the day. And, and then Do- Dogtra came around. And uh, I got to know the owners of Dogtra and, and just kept doing some different things, working events for them, stuff, uh, events like the Scott Show, where you and I will be working in the very near future. Two Tom, weeks. In a, in a couple days. weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And so even back when I had the business, Tom, I was kind of like you. I was doing some part-time gig work, uh, gigs for, for their companies. And, um, and so the, as an example, Tom, this will be my... Uh, I can't remember, Tom, my 18th or 19th shot show working for Dogtra. Wow. <laughs> so, uh, but when I sold the business uh, 10 years ago, I had an agreement that I could go to work for Dogtra, and that's what I did. And so uh, I like to work. Uh, this is kind of right in my wheelhouse, what I do for Dogtra now. And uh, I work as a private contractor for them, Tom. I'm not an actual employee. Mm. Um, but I, so I, I, my bosses are, are the owners of Dogtra. That's who I uh, deal with on a regular basis. And, um, Alex and James. So those are the owners of Dogtra. And, um, uh, so that's, that's what I do. I got introduced at our rep group here, uh, about a year or so ago. And, and they said, Pete's the Swiss army knife for Dogtra. So I can do a little bit of, a little bit of everything for the company. How's that? So that that's perfect. Uh, I like hopefully that. explains what I do, but really my background, Tom is training dogs for other people, uh, primarily retrievers. But, uh, in the end, I, I, you know, my career, at the business, I, I trained some of everything, but primarily I was a retriever trainer. Mm, cool. Mm-hmm. I want to rewind a little bit and talk about when you, you were talking about when you used to work at the, um, the kennel, because a lot of them, a lot of the people who I, I have found, and, and the other thing cool about this podcast, Pete, is I was actually looking last night on some of the stats of where people are coming from, and there's thousands of people that listen to every single episode, which is really cool. Yeah, and, and they're from all over the world, um, Australia, India, China, um, everywhere, everywhere. I mean, I yeah. was looking at some of the, it's. It's really amazing, and I know a lot of people, including myself, like to know how people got started a little bit more in depth because I think that they can relate to that. So w- when you were when you were handling dogs for the vet clinic, and after you were trained to become a vet tech at the time. What were you doing? Were you just kind of doing the morning letouts, doing the the cleaning up poop, putting feeding them, and things like that? What was your daily operation back in the? In oh, the great, set? great, great question, Tom. Uh, when I uh, worked for the veterinary clinic in St. Cloud, Minnesota, uh, I worked there about two and a half years, and so um, my my duties there were I was the early morning guy uh, person that uh, so I let dogs out, exercise them and cats took care of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but primarily it was, it was dogs. And so I was the cleanup guy. I was, uh, assisted in surgery. I helped with all the x-rays. I did the blood workup. Um, 
I did uh, some of everything at, at that clinic. Um, the only thing I never really did was any of the clerical work, you know, the receptionist work. I would answer sure. phones when we got busy. I would help with the vaccination of dogs, the drawing the blood, running the uh, the blood. Uh, we had in-house uh, uh, equipment to, to do that. We did all of our, our x-rays in-house. And so I, I did all that. So, yeah, I did some of everything. And right right in the in the surgery room, I was the, the main assistant when uh, Glenn was the uh, the owner of the the clinic, the veterinarian. And so I assisted Glenn every morning when he got in at 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. We started doing all the regular surgeries. I was his night guy. I was single back then, Tom. So uh, <laughs> if there was an emergency surgery, my phone rang. <laughs> this was back before cell phones, by the way, too. Uh, and he'd call and say, Peter, I need you in here to run the gas machine. We've got a dog that was hit by a car. Wow. Got to go into surgery. So I, I did some of everything, uh, for the, for them. It was really a great experience, Tom. Yeah. Little did I know how much that would pay off for me, uh, years, years later, as I started on my own. And, and as you know, with dealing with dogs, there's always something that is, is can potentially go wrong. I mean, you have enough dogs in your life. My old veterinarian buddy, David Tomshi over here. Uh, that I deal with now says, you know, you're going to run into one of everything if you have enough dogs and you stay in this business long enough. Exactly. And and that's something I, I tell as many people as I can, especially when I used to do dog walking. Uh, when I started off is I tell people a time frame I would be there. And I say, you know, I'm going to give you a two hour time frame of me coming to your house and letting your dog out because animals are not predictable. And I have no yeah. I, I have no idea what's yeah. going to happen. Yeah, it's not a piece of equipment. No, no, and it's not technology, and you can't reprogram it really quick and shove batteries yeah. back in it and reset it and make it work. You gotta, exactly. You got to clean up diarrhea and chase a dog that slipped the collar, and there's so yeah. much, so much that goes into it. Yeah, that sounds like a really good um, experience uh, for you to get into uh, first starting off um, or in your preliminary stages of working with dogs to do everything, everything yeah. from from doing surgeries with dogs, taking blood, learning about vaccinations. You'll probably learn a little bit of behavior while you're there. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's really interesting. Yep. And so yeah. fa- fast yeah, – f- sorry, go ahead. Uh, it was just a, a good foundation to yeah. to my uh, to what I call my career of, you know, building the uh, the business, the dog training business. That's really what I, I ended it. up being known as, the dog guy. <laughs> Most That's- of my clients came out of the – Minneapolis, St. Paul area. That's it, man. And, and that's what I, I try to tell everybody in the dog industry. Uh, I get a lot of emails and messages of how they want to get into the industry. And um, basically what you just said, you basically have to go and and shovel crap and, and yep. wake up early and be tired and be uh, stressed yep. and uh, strung right out on all the problems of other people. And that's a yep. really good way to get your feet wet because – in the in the dog world, as you know, it's 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 really tough to say. You know, here's the. I, I recently saw a quote um, that was like the the proof is in the pudding, not in the print. Uh, meaning, yeah. there's there's so much that you have to learn outside of reading um, behavioral books or yes. or any type of book, really. Um, and that's a really good way to to do it is just get in and get boots on the ground. And I started off that way as well, just uh, helping daycares and 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 helping with the with the daycares and switching them out and doing dog cleanups and all that stuff just to get my my feet wet in um not only with the dogs but the customer service of how to handle certain situations and and yep. I think that that's really important in any canine careers to start off at at that level it's exactly Tom and and something that gets overlooked uh in any business really <clears throat> uh 
and I don't know if you're going to agree with this or not. I think you're going to many times training the dog is the easiest part of the job when you do what we do. Yeah. Uh, you, you dealing with the people is, is, uh, is oh. the next part of it. Not how you say to people, they would stay, their dogs would come and stay with us for, uh, most of them initially would come for six weeks minimum. Wow. Many of them stayed for months and months, but you know, these were dogs that were being trained as gun dogs. Right. We were obedience training, electric collar conditioning is what we call it. Association of gun and birds. We were doing handling patterns. Some of them were ribbon runners, but primarily I, I trained dogs for people that wanted a duck or pheasant, uh, mm-hmm. retrieved and not a ribbon, but I did do a bunch of the, the competitions or what we call nowadays hunt tests. I did a lot of that with my own dogs, but you know, Part of it is, is is training the dog, but also I would tell people, look, uh, I can train your dog. you got to come up here and work with them. But at the end of the day, i got to stay here. I can't count, go home with your dog. Mm-hmm. So a big part of that is training uh, the dog and trying to guide the people and, and show them that this is just – I got you a really good start, but I can't be there all the time. So part of it – my first part of the job was train the dog. The second part was train the owner. And, and, uh, so that's really a, a, a really big part of it. And so I'm a people person also, uh, I worked for a couple different people over the years that were really good at what they did. Uh, but they weren't very good with people. I always mm-hmm. called it, they didn't have very good bedside manner. Correct. And, um, and that's a big part of it to be successful, Tom. I, I, uh, and I still, uh, operate that way. in, in my work with dog when we have problems and the customer service, people can't handle somebody and they turn them over to me. One of the first things I say to him is, you know, I'm your I'm your last person to deal with here. Let's see if we can figure this out. Be nice to me. I'm going to be nice to you. Uh, <laughs> if they start dropping F bombs on me. I'll just say to him, you know what? Uh, we, we need to part company here. But I'm, I, I think that's really important in any business you get into besides putting in the hours. I mean, let's you know what it's like, Tom, yeah. uh, doing what you do. I mean, you don't keep track of the hours because uh, it's scary if you start logging in your hours. But it, it's your passion. And yeah. um and so that's a big part of it as well. You know, not only being able to train a dog, work with people, but also accept the fact that you really don't have much of a personal life anymore once you start on your own. hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I learned that pretty quick. Um, my twenties, <laughs> yeah. my twenties my were gone. I mean, absolutely gone. I, um, it was really tough just, I mean, not only working with dogs, but just starting a business at a young age in general yep. where all of your friends oh, yeah. are in their prime in college. Um, and, yep. and their prime and their partying and, and, and going out and going to bars and, and, and that yep. whole nine. And I was waking up at, at 5am crashing kibble and bowls. I, yep. said, I, I just have a different, you know, and, and, and for me, it was yep. about, like you said, like the passion. And, um, I think you're the one who told me this, uh, a while back, Pete, we're not in the dog business. We're in the people business. Yeah. And, yep. um, that is, that is true. Yeah, and we just we, we and that's something that a lot of people who are working with with dogs professionally, or even people who have dogs that are wanting to work with other people, um, I tell people all the time, you know. And what I do is there's a like you just mentioned, Pete. I'm glad you mentioned it. Is there's a significant difference with somebody who is really good with there's a lot of people that are really good with animals a lot, but yep. you find very few that can hybrid and weld together somebody who can have information to relate from the dog. You have to be a median kind of person um, where you're relating the information from the dog to the person in a very empathetic, digestible way, which that's where the rubber meets the road. And, and exactly. I, and I see that a lot where, and I see it even, even in my personal career where, where people become so frustrated that they may not be gaining clientele or they may be losing clientele or they're just they're, no, nobody knows they're there because they 
they're and, it, and it's kind of contradicting their their instincts because they're like, man, I can really get a dog, and this goes for horse trainers and yep. and and bull riders or however anybody yep. in the in the animal kingdom, <laughs> you could be really, 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 really good at what you do, yep. but if yep. you can't tell people how to do it, yep, I mean, you're not selling art, and people aren't people aren't buying your paintings to say, hey, yep. good job, I want to buy it and be done with you. You have to be able to, to educate people, and I think that that's, that's a really important topic. It, it, it really is, Tom, and, and <clears throat> again, not only it isn't it, – it's, it's not only what you say but how you say it, okay? Right. And, and I could <clears throat> – uh, there are a number of trainers that I've dealt with, uh, professional and amateur, that uh, they really know their stuff, <clears throat> but they're very negative people. They're chronic complainers. All they do is bitch, and, mm-hmm. and they, they bring that attitude with them wherever they go. And sometimes I sit back and I <clears throat> look at them and I think, man, how did you ever get to where you're at with that kind of attitude? So I, you and I are a lot alike. I have a very positive attitude. I'm very secure in what I do also. OK, um, <clears throat> but I think part of it is, is as I'm dealing with a person and a dog, I, I want to come off that. Not only do I want to uh, be able to express that I know what the hell I'm doing, but also I want to be good about it. I, I don't want to have that negative attitude and that bitchy attitude with with everything because I, I, that's just life is too short. And I think people don't learn very good in those situations. No. So I think, I think a, a good dose of, of reality and being positive when you're dealing with people, being kind of lighthearted, being able to joke around also. Don't take, don't take yourself mm-hmm. so damn serious. I run into some people like, wow, you're a great dog trainer. But listen, you know, I could care yeah. less. Yeah. You know what? It, it's, it's, it's about uh, having a positive energy and not only to the dog, but also to the to the individual you're working with. So I think those are really some some little pieces that individuals have a tendency to overlook. Mm. Uh, whether you're a dog trainer, Tom, or any anything you do in life, that's that's hundred percent. I see that a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I think too, dog owners when they when they come in for for training, I always am so empathetic towards the situation to say. You know, it's kind of like uh, like uh, alcohol, like the 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 uh, alcohol pr- programs where you come in, you say, "Hey, I, I'm an alcoholic," and everyone says, "Hi, me too." It's kind of the same <laughs> thing when people come in with dogs; they they have to admit that they they've lost control and yeah. they need help. Sometimes that's, as you probably know, it's sometimes that's really easy for people. They say this is a nightmare help, and then other times it's yeah. not. I find people are like. I'm the type of person, you know, I've had fortune 500 CEOs that I've worked with that are, they don't like telling people that they can't fix something. Right. Um, and that doesn't have anything to do with male or female. It's just, yep. you know, how that goes. And so I'm always the type of person that steps back and say, Hey, I don't know everything, but listen, I, I've been doing this long enough and I feel confident that I can help you. Let's try to figure this out together. Yep. And that, that, yeah. Even even though I I may be able to help them in a matter of minutes, I I never try to wear that on my sleeve because it makes fe- right. it makes people it doesn't make them feel good. You want to yeah. you want to be empowering and teaching people how to work with their dogs because it you want yeah. it to be fun. Yeah, and and the other thing when you've done it as long as you've done it now and you're a lot younger than me, Tom, people would would call up or even to this day when I'm troubleshooting dog problems for for customers at dog care, they'll uh, get me on the phone and they'll say, well, geez, you know the the dog is doing this and this and this. And I say, you know, it sounds like you got a pretty normal dog. There's nothing you've told me in the last 10 minutes that I'm sitting here with my mouth hanging open saying, wow, this person really has problems. You know, when you're in it long enough, you've heard just about every story. 
Yeah. And then the flip side also, Tom, is you, you find people that say, you know, my dog is really good. You know, you if you when you see my dog, you're going to be so impressed. Uh, but then I've got one problem, you know, if he's off the rope or leash, he runs away. Yeah. And I'll say, well, that sounds like kind of a big problem. That's a big problem. <laughs> yeah. That's the only so, problem. Yeah. So, you know, again, you, you um, I, I try and take that that lighthearted approach to it. I like to I like to be able to uh, say to somebody, you know, what I just said earlier. Hey, what, what you've told me up at to this point, uh, it's, I've heard this story before. It's nothing that we can't work on, that, sure. that we can't make an improvement. Are we going to fix it 100%? Well, do we ever really fix any uh, right. behavior issue 100%? A lot of it, Tom, has to do with are the owners willing to implement the training when they get the dog back home? Right. That's a big key. That's a big part of it. Yeah. And I, and I love seeing those. I got a video last night from one of my clients in Colorado um, of them playing a video of me. And then the dog sitting there running to the room, tilting his head like, hey, I know that person. They want to straighten me out. <laughs> and I think that 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 creates a lifetime uh, relationship with those dogs that you work with because um, you have that relationship. And, and that's that's true. I, there's so many times where. People would come in in tears, just uh, distraught because their their puppy is biting things, and you're like, and that's the part about, like you said, P. It's a great yeah. way to put it. Like your bedside manner, you want to laugh, but at the yep. same time, they they're serious and they they don't yes. do this professionally, and they didn't they exactly. weren't they weren't born to do this. They don't they're not in it. So yep. it's a really good point. I want to talk about. So I just have a question. When you said Tritronic, so I used to. Um, one of my best friends used to run beagles um, at a beagle and hair club, and tri- was Tritronics a part of the Garmin series? Uh, tri- yeah. Well, here's the. Uh, I'm a. <clears throat> uh, I love history uh, with dog training and specifically retriever training and remote training collars. And I'm kind of the historian for dog training, just so you know. Because I've been with the company so long, but Tritronics was one of the first uh, uh, remote training collars that ever came on the market, <clears throat> and they were eventually purchased by the Garmin company, uh, based out of Olathe, Kansas. And so that's what um, uh, that's what almost everybody that trained professionally back in the days when I started. <clears throat> excuse me, Tom. Uh, you were using Tritronics. There were only a couple manufacturers of remote training collars on the market back then, <clears throat> I think two other ones, there was Inatech and possibly a company by the name of Dog Radartron, which eventually turned into DT Systems, uh, which those, both those companies are around yet. Inatech uh, got bought out by a company called Radio Systems, which is uh, based out of uh, Tennessee. So that's the, the sport dog pet safe brand. Uh, and Tritronics got bought by Garmin. That's what I thought. Because when you said Tritronics, uh, it brought me a lot of nostalgic back. Because uh, I remember my buddies, and that, and that was even before I professionally worked with dogs. I was I'd be up at a Beagle and Hair Club, um, watching those beagles tally hoeing through the tally throwing through the the grass, and that was always really impressive to watch those beagles work. So exactly. So so moving forward from from the blast from the past, there, Pete. Let's talk a little bit about. Um, your experience with when, and I'm glad that you said that you're kind of the historian with dog trick. Cause that's, that's the, that's, that's what I want to know personally is, yep. is in your experience going back to the beginning of, of the, the remote <clears throat> collar um, introduction to the, to the industry, if you will, what were people <laughs> using remote collars for back when you saw it starting to develop? <clears throat> what, what was it being used for and why was it being developed? Well, <clears throat> the, uh, really the, the, 
most people back in the day were using it for hunting dog training. I think early, early on, most of the uh, remote training collars were probably developed by hound people uh, that were hunting uh, big cats out in Arizona, you know, big, big ranging dogs. And mm-hmm. if you saw the equipment that they were using, I mean, it looked like a CB, uh, CBers convention. They had those long antennas, antennas that, yeah. you know, came out, you know, expandable antennas. Um, <clears throat> so I, I think I'm pretty sure that the, the roots of, of electric dog training <clears throat> started with the hunting dog market and, and really just uh, the hunting dog market is still the biggest. Most of our product gets sold into the hunting dog market to this day yet. Now, I can't speak for our competitors, uh, but I know Dogtra is uh, a, a big part of our, a big sector for us is still the hunting dog market and specifically the retriever market. Uh, because if you uh, historically in the last 10, 15 years, if you look uh, with the amount of dogs registered with the American Kennel Club, uh-huh. uh, the Labrador labrador retriever has been number one with the most dogs registered if you go out hunting up in the midwest here uh you're you're most apt to run into a a labrador retriever out in the field waterfall hunting or upland hunting that's still um you know a lot of those dogs are are being bred and used out in the field consequently a lot of excuse me a lot of uh remote training collars are getting sold to that market um the biggest market that's out there is probably the pet dog world uh, because there's more pets out there than there is any other, but that's taken us, uh, you know, they have not become mainstream in the pet, pet training industry, uh, as sector yet, but we're getting there as you're well aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so I, and I think that, I think that that's still, like you said, that that's still a thing that the, uh, the, the remotes are, are being used for, for primarily hunting. And do you think that that was more for calling? I mean, if you got to think about it, if you're working with a, a big cat, I mean, that's the significant difference between life and death of certain scenarios. If you have to recall yeah. your dog off a certain scenario, um, or, or what have you, I, I don't have a lot of experience with that type of, of hunting or training, but what were they primarily being used for recall or just tracking? Cause I know some of the, some of the models ha- have a great tracking mechanism to them as well. So, well, yeah, no, a lot of the, there's, there's product out there now that has a uh, GPS system in it. So you can track the dog. We make one that's called pathfinder. Um, most of the companies make a, a unit like that, that has GPS and the e-collar integrated into one. Ours actually runs through your smartphone, but um, back in the day, these were uh, when they early on, when they developed this product, it was uh, just plain and simple for breaking dogs, big, big running dogs, hound dogs, cat dogs, uh, coon dogs from breaking them from running deer. So they were probably just one level of stimulation, which was high. And mm-hmm. they would just implement a high level of stimulation when they knew the dog was running uh, a deer and they were out uh, coon hunting or they were running cats and the dog was running something it shouldn't have been. And so they would just break them of running uh, this, this unwanted game by just giving them a high level of stimulation mm-hmm. and knocking the hell out of them. Uh, and, and the dog, uh, which, which is not, as you're well aware the best way to use a remote training collar. Um, and consequently they, they have developed product now that we can adjust the stimulation levels at our fingertip. Back then right. they were one level of stimulation and, and it was, it was very it was, powerful. Yeah, it was, so, it was ouch. <laughs> yeah. We, we've come a long way, uh, to say the least. And, and, uh, and now everybody makes uh, uh, remote training collars that, that has uh, the adjustability of the stimulation right at your, on your handheld. You know, uh, that, that's probably been the biggest 
advancement in remote training collars in the last 20 years. Uh, and the, and we've got smaller transmitters now. We don't have these great big long antennas. And and uh, so they've become much more compact and, and much more, uh, I mean, if back in the day, uh, 40 years ago, when they developed these, the, the transmitter was about half the size of a shoebox. You know, you got to think about how our cell phones have advanced as well. Oh, man. So all of our technology has advanced. And, and so now we have product out there that's, uh, you can use a very light level of stimulation. You can use the vibrations. You've got tones. And you've got a transmitter that will fit in your pocket while you're having your dog out on an afternoon morning walk in suburbia. And, and it's not like you're carrying around a, a, a small portable TV. Right. And it, it doesn't surprise me at all that yeah. – technology has advanced and that's that's one thing i try to i don't i don't i don't necessarily care for for to argue with people about the remote callers because over the next 10 years it's just going to be like people are going to go holy crap i was so silly to think that that's what that they're equating the remote collar from back what year do you think that was pete when they were using the remote collars for that time like range Oh, uh, I think some of the earliest uh, remote training callers by by uh, Tritronics were developed back in the oh, I'm going to say the '60s, late '60s, Tom, for sure. The '70s, um, some of the early ones, the ones that were shaped like a almost as the transmitter was about the size of a shoebox. Uh, mm-hmm. um, those may have been in the early '60s, um, um, but but again, we've come so far. So far, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the transmitters nowadays, some of our dog transmitters, the ones that you use, you know, you can fit them in your pocket. You barely know they're there. And, and we still got yeah. good range and stimulation out of them. So, yeah, we've we've come we've come a long ways, to say the least. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting for me, Pete, just as a just as a consumer in life on the planet that we live in to see. I mean, even the first iPhone was introduced in 2007. <laughs> And mm-hmm. on on the grand scheme of things, 2007 really wasn't that long ago. But look how far we've come. Agree from yeah. from just that. I mean, being yep. able to do some of the things that we can do on our phone has changed the world. Yeah. And and in one of the biggest industries in the world is also the the dog world. It's something that um, everyone is. It, it's constantly growing, as you know. And. And I think it's it's magnificent. I think people need to take a step back and say, wait a minute, what is because they're they're relating the the '60s and '70s implementation of a tool and relating to 2020, 2019, right. and 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 that's what they're and, and so there's a lot of ignorance that comes with some of the stuff. And and I know that uh, we could talk probably all day on that, which I don't want to get into too much, but. I just I, I like hearing your info because I don't really know for sure because I wasn't alive. Right. To, to to know when was this stuff implemented, and it's nice to know that even in the '60s and for sure the early '70s, the e-collar has progressed probably year by year by year until now. And the things that I mean to be able to track your dog from your iPhone sitting on the couch if it's if it's running around outside, yeah. Yeah. and and be able to just tap them from a distance is huge. And I also yeah. and I also think that even back in the '60s and '70s when the when the levels were ouch. I also think that there's there's a part of the conversation that needs to come out that when we're dealing with a corrective level on a remote collar on any level, um, I think that there's a lot of misrepresentation of people who don't have have never even seen a working dog work. If you've right. if you've seen a retriever or, or I've seen beagles work really hard and I've seen hounds work really hard. 
when you correct them on something like that, they kind of just shake a little bit and then go, go right back to either doing the right thing or the wrong thing. It's not something that they they sit back and they think about and they take to heart and they're upset and they're mad and they're trying to figure out what they did wrong. When a dog is working, I've seen dogs, I'm sure you have too, Pete, in your field. I've seen dogs get sticks wedged right in their jugular and, and their eyes poked out and their nose ripped off by certain animals and they just keep going. They don't care. Yeah. And so back in the day and even still to today, having the ability to, to reach out and touch your dog from a distance is when it was when it's done, it's it's only to help that dog understand that they're doing something that could potentially be deadly to them. And if you ask yourself alternatively, okay, what else are you going to do? Well, I'm just going to yell until they come back. Well, there's a really good chance that that's not going to break a working dog from that uh, that job. And I also think within the same breath, there's a working dog in almost every dog. They just the owners don't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, well, they're just they're they're animals, and every one of them has some uh, a certain amount of what we call prey drive. Right. So we we can go down and and get a dog out of the uh, out of the pound, uh, out of the rescue, out of mm-hmm. the shelter. Uh, it could be a mixed breed. Uh, I don't care what breed it is, and that dog, uh, most of them are going to want to chase after something. That's just that's just something that dogs like to do. They like to chase after balls or sticks or other dogs or other critters or cars and and some more than others so all of them have a certain amount of what i call prey drive in them Mm -hmm. because they're animals and so to try and take that and control it is what we want to do to to make that dog suitable for a pet so that when we take him outside he doesn't he or she doesn't run away doesn't run on the road and get run over so all we're trying to do at that point tom in my opinion is modify that dog's behavior so it pleases us so that we can have it. And in, and a dog that runs away and runs out in front of traffic. And I mean, that's not a dog that I don't think anybody's pleased by that. If I have a working dog and I'm a retriever guy, I want a dog that'll go pick up my ducks. I want him to handle like you were up at Otterness, as you probably saw handling gun dogs, Tom. Yeah. Got to go left, right and back. And they're like a guided missile to go find your duck and bring it back. That's a conservation tool. So I don't leave my birds laying in the field. So if I drop one out in the water. I've got a dog that'll do a blind retrieve and, and yeah. go and pick that up and bring it back. So they all have a, a purpose, whether it's a working dog or whether it's a, I spent some time with a, a guy by the name of Mike Ritland, who's a very well-known canine mm-hmm. guy down in, uh, in Texas. In Texas. That, yeah. He's a great guy. And Mike's turned into a friend of mine and we chat all the time and to go down there and see those dogs work firsthand. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, I've been around the retriever sector all my life. I've been around pointing dogs uh, and nothing is more enjoyable than to see a working dog that's under control and does its job. Consequently, there's a hell of a lot of people out there, Tom, that don't don't want a, a working dog. They just have a pet. They want it to be controlled. And yeah. that's a lot of fun to be able to control that dog and have him so he <clears throat> minds the owner. Yeah. So everything's relevant. Depends what you want out of the dog. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And, I, and I think just the show notes of that conversation is just really highlighting the fact of the technology advancements. And, and I think in, in some of the, and maybe you can, maybe you can give me a little bit of insight on this. Um, as you know, I, I do a lot of remote caller training. Um, I think everything that I do, I try to be creative with because I think there's a lot of room in the industry to become creative because it is kind of sure. new. Um, and, 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 and making the tools accessible to that creativity too, to try some new things with being uh, humane, of course. 
Um, and I always get the, well, it's illegal here, it's illegal here. And I, and I feel when people are saying that, they're proud of it. And I feel sorry for them because they don't know why, wh- what they're missing out on. So do you have any, uh, being in the industry as long as you have, uh, do you have any feedback for, for me? Um, did you, I mean, as far as the making things illegal, it's a lot of political stuff going into it. And there's a lot of ignorance and there's a lot of scaling back to the early 60s and 70s of dog training and, and trying to apply the same mythology. What is your what is your thoughts um, as being somebody within the industry on the business end about certain countries banning remote collar training to control your dog off leash? Well, um, the one thing I would say, I, I think we uh, we will see that in, in our day and age in, in the United States. Uh, we've seen it in different parts already where they on, on local areas, they've trying to ban them. And much of it is is because people are ignorant. They've never been around a remote training collar. Uh, they think it's a shock collar. They don't understand anything about it. They think it's cruel. They think it's the same as taking a fork and sticking it in the outlet of a of your uh, right uh, of your house. You know, and it doesn't operate the same way. It's static electricity. Uh, runs on a very low amperage. Uh, uh, it's it's basically most training collars work very similar. If you ever gone to physical therapy, mm-hmm. uh, it's uh, similar to a tens machine, a muscle stimulator. Um, it, they they don't have enough energy to burn. Uh, to cook tissue, uh, a lot of misconceptions out there about about that. But you know, the internet nowadays is also a hell of a powerful tool, and, and can be good for us, but it can also be our, yeah. our worst enemy. Yeah. Uh, there, there's been um, uh, we we've seen it uh, uh, on local levels where they have tried um, uh, municipalities have tried to ban remote training callers. Uh, we had some of it written into our our own laws up here in good old Stearns County, where I'm in in uh, Minnesota. And uh, they sent the uh, ordinances over to me and wanted me to look at them because I knew some people at the county. And I, I called them up and I said, I'm looking through this and, and you're talking about uh, that you don't you want to ban uh, uh, remote training callers uh, at, at professional training facilities. I said, are, are you aware that your county, sh- your sheriff's department dogs are all on a remote training caller? Your local St. Cloud Police Department dogs are all on remote training callers. And I know this because I sold them the collars and helped train them. So right. now what you're telling us is that uh, it's okay for the local enforcement to have these, but the private citizen can't. That's a slippery slope is what I told them. Uh, we're going to see more and more of that, Tom, on a, and that got taken out of their ordinances uh, once once they realized what they held. But they had gone to somebody um, uh, that was a anti-e-collar person to help them write their ordinances. It got taken out and, and we're all fine now, but that's some of the stuff we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. Um, and I'll introduce you to some of these people at the shot show, Tom, in a couple of weeks, awesome. we actually have a manufacturers association group. So all the major manufacturers have an association um, that we abide by and we meet. I just had my Monday call in. We call once a month. And so it's all the competitors uh, the major competitors in the uh, in the uh, remote training caller field, uh, and we'll have a meeting at the shot show, um, separate uh, one on the Wednesday morning of shot shows. So we try and do that once a year. Wow, and that's really, cool. Tell me, the manufacturers association was created about five years ago. Um, uh, being that we we felt like we're going to see this movement mm-hmm. in the United States to to uh, make remote training callers illegal by different from different sectors of people so it's out there um 
We're so dealing you, with it. We're going to have to deal with it in the future. It's happened in Canada somewhat. Do you think? Do you think it's just a lack of? Do you think it's just a lack of education that these politics are, um, are, are just banning these things through through a lens of of ignorance of meaning um, there's certain pet owners going, hey, politicians, um, th- these people are are like you said, sticking forks and outlets on these dogs and, and frying yeah. them, which is literally impossible to do. And of course, I'm sure there's people out there that are using these things incorrectly and using them as, as complete aversive and punishment tools. But yep. do you think that that's where, that's where things are going wrong is, is the politicians aren't being educated on um, what these tools are and the capabilities they have and the technology advancements that they've made? You know, I, I think that's that is a possibility, and I think it, it does happen. Um, I think the other thing is is the uh, there's different sectors of of uh, mostly in the pet dog industry that are anti-electric. Um, uh, we call them behind their back. We call them Amish. Uh, they don't want to they don't want to use remote training collars. They don't want they don't see the value in them. They think they're harmful, and and that's 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 their perspective. Right. That's their uh, I'm okay with that, but right. then when they start trying to change legislation, uh, implement legislation so that it's illegal to use them, I have a real hard time with that. And most of these people have never been out and 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 experienced what right. a remote training caller can do for a dog. They just think they're bad because they have that connotation. You know, they are a shock caller, and a shock has got to hurt, and a shock is not good. And and so those are the 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 things that that we're dealing with from that that sector of people that dislike them that say, Hey, they're evil. And uh, again, they don't know a lot about it, but they also have a voice and, and they can sure go to the politicians and try and implement different rules and regulations. But then uh, from a, from a trainer's perspective and manufacturers that promote and use these uh, products and know the value of them, then it's also our, our duty to go out and share our side of it. Mm-hmm. And, and then, then it's the politician that gets to, decide what's what's appropriate and what isn't so um that that's just you know you can it's that way with with anything in our in our country and, and it's as you're well aware of and it's just a tool right it's a tool that we use to train a dog and um uh, there's there's individuals um there's places where the remote training collar has been banned and they'll use a club and a chain on a dog to uh whip the hell out of them uh to beat them senseless but they think an electric training collar is is evil um, and some of that is overseas in places where they've banned mm-hmm. them. So it's, it's the tool. It's, it's, it's the tool and, and it, it's, it's how it's used. So um, that's something that the average person needs to understand as they, they go start working with their dog, that this is just a tool that we use to modify a dog's behavior and so that the dog is more controllable and, and more of a joy to have around. Um, mm-hmm. It's like any tool. There's a good way to use it and a bad way to use it. Right. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. It's it, and it's it's sad to see um, some of the some of the the paths some of these things go down. And um, like like I I I recently has started to say is any tool that we use, whether it's a slip collar, dominant dog collar, prong collar, mm-hmm. hell, even a harness. Yep. All it does is it reinforces behavior. So do we absolutely mm-hmm. need them to train? No, we don't. But we also don't need airplanes to go to California and back. And we also don't mm-hmm. need power tools to build a house. But, man, I yep. tell you what, flying to California and coming back within 24 hours in the same day and building a house yep. with 
a power drill is so yep. much more efficient and um, we're scratching our head like, man, what did we do before this? And I feel like that's the way some of the tools are. And, and we're not banning cars because there's idiot people out there drinking and driving and getting yep. into accidents. I mean, yep. we're, you know, we're not, it, 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 if you take cars away, it's somebody else is going to find a different, you know, way to do yeah. things. So it's, tough. Well, it's, a, it's a powerful tool. It's right at your fingertips. It doesn't require a lot of effort uh, on, on the trainer's part. Uh, there's still a lot of finesse that needs to be implemented with the use of a training collar, in my opinion. Uh, I've seen people out there that are not very good with it. I've seen people that are just average. I've seen people that are really good with it and be able to read the dog, when to push the button, when not to push the button, what level of stimulation. Um, The ones that have tried the training collar and said, hey, I tried this. I I only use it on dogs that I can't uh, when I really need it. That's not a person that that really has ever learned a program and how to implement the training collar. Every dog I ever trained, uh, at, at my business, I trained with a remote training collar. And, you know, once you see the value of it, you learn a program, you learn how to use it, get some finesse. Uh, you see the, the real value of it. The one people that have tried it and didn't like it and said, ah, there, you know, it's just a shock collar. I don't need that. You know, that's, that's the kind of person I would say it's a shitty carpenter that criticizes his tools. So <laughs> yep. it, it, there's somebody standing there that's got to work the drill, work the saw and, yep. and the same way with the training collar. Yeah, hundred percent. No, no doubt. I'm with you on that. And as somebody like I, I try to learn something every day. I, 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 I don't pretend like I know everything about anything. I, I try to learn as a student every day. I, I, I don't. I, for me, just as an outside perspective, as a dog owner, because that's what I am first. It, it just kind of boggles my mind that it's even going down that path, and it's unfortunate for the for the dog owners and the the future trainers as well. Well, you know, the if if we could. Take individuals that are anti-e-collar and, and send them out for uh, uh, a couple days of, of uh, firsthand experience with someone like yourself uh, or a good retriever trainer that puts dogs out into places two, three hundred yards away, left, right, back. I mean, you've seen it now firsthand. Oh, yeah. And that isn't done, Tom, uh, by running out in the field and reprimanding <laughs> a dog. Uh, you got, I mean, this, uh, as you're well aware of, you know, when you start reinforcing commands at a distance, timing is everything. Oh, you yeah. got a dog out 200 yards away and you want him to go left and he goes right. Uh, that's where the remote training collar comes in. You remind him, hey, this was left and this was right. Mm-hmm. You can't really accomplish that by the time I throw on my tennis shoes and run out there. The moment is lost. And so for yeah. people that are uh, have not seen the value of a remote training collar in the pet industry, in the working dog field, uh, if they went and spent a, a day with somebody and, and really saw how this thing has worked and, and the benefit of it, um, I think we'd open up a lot of eyes, Tom. Oh man, it's it's hundred percent, hundred percent. And I can tell you really quick that I, just so everyone else knows, and you know, P, I, I actually started getting into the remote collar training because my Saint Bernard, who's now ten, decided to okay. play, decided to play chicken with a train, and okay. and that's that's the moment that I, you know, it's a lot of serendipity, uh, happened in my, yeah. in my early career to push me to where I'm at today, which is why I am, you know, I'm, I'm here. Um, there's a lot of things that kind of fell into place and he, he decided to, uh, go on the train tracks and he decided to run away from a train and he was on the tracks. The train was coming. I had two options. I either jump and try to get my 150 pound dog to roll off the train tracks within seconds of the train pummeling both of us, or I get ran over by the train 
or I watched my dog get run over by a train. And so after I saved him and the conductor stopped and they came out with clipboards and they were so surprised that I was still alive because they said I was seconds away from being hit by the cow pusher in the front. Um, wow. that was, a, Oh, it was, it was traumatic. Even to this day, it's, it's hard to, to think about. But at that moment I said, I never want, I never ever want that happen to happen again ever. Yep. Um, and so then I started looking into local trainers and then that's how I, I, I stumbled across dog because, um, I originally started working with, uh, with an English lady, uh, Janine Lazarus, and she was a head trainer at the monks and new skeet over in Cambridge here in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about an hour and a half for me. And then I started getting yep. into remote collar training and she said, Oh, and I thought the same thing. I said, well, yeah, heck I'll, I'll, I'll correct my dog if he doesn't listen. She's like, yeah, but it's so much more than that. There's so much yeah. versatility to that, and that's how I started to learn was through the, through that that phase, and um, that's how I was originally introduced to Dogcha. As there's a train going by my house right now. Yeah, I can hear it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I'm telling you, man, the serendipity. Oh, you're not on the tracks. No, no, no. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> but um, but anyway, so and that's what led me to Dogcha, and I think I called you. I don't know what Pete like six years ago, five years ago, five six years ago, and I said, hey, yeah, I'm gonna say it was probably about that. About five, maybe. Yeah. Yep. I said, hey, man, um, I love you know this new product I was introduced to. I, I want to learn more about it. I want to use it. I want to train with it. And that's where I first was uh, introduced to, to you, Pete, and, and Doctor in general. And um, so that's that's kind of the story. And um, yep. I'm sticking to it. So yeah. <laughs> moving forward from that, I want to talk a little bit more about um, I want to talk a little bit about Shot Show. So I have never been to Shot Show, and I actually didn't know about it until this year. Um, yep. and recently Dogcha and I have partnered up, um, to, to work together in 2020 to do the best we can to help people out, uh, with the remote collar and introducing Dogcha to people. Um, and so yeah, we're going to be going to be doing a bunch of videos, right, Tom? Yeah. Yeah. We, we yeah. have some videos on display and we're doing some Q and A's at shot show. Yep. And so yep. for everyone who doesn't know shot show, it's in Las Vegas, uh, in two weeks. So January 21st to the 24th. And, um, and I'm going to be there and Pete, you're going to be there, right? Correct. And, um, how many, do you know off the top of your head, how many, how many exhibitors and vendors there are at, at something like this? I know there's like what 60,000 people that come or something like that. Yeah. It's about 60,000, 63,000 or something go through the turnstiles. It's the largest, um, outdoor show in the world. Uh, I think Tom, it's one of the top 10, um, uh, conventions conventions uh in the world also so it's really well attended shot show stands for shooting hunting outdoor trade show so it's the it's the and it's put on by the shooting sports foundation is uh who puts this on and so in its day it was it was really more of a back 20 years ago tom it was more of a hooks and bullets crowd hunting and fishing Mm. now we're we see some of everything it's really expanded um you you could you're going to see a lot of tactical companies there it's not something just so uh, the listeners are, are aware of. It's not something you can just walk up and say, "Buy, give me a ticket. Uh, I want in." Uh, you have to be somehow in the outdoor uh, field, and you've got to prove that you you've got to have a business license. You've got to have. I don't even. I don't think they even take a business card. You've got to be. It's a. It's a quote buyer show, so to speak. So now is that to uh, is that to attend or is that to exhibit? Uh, to attend just to walk in and it's spendy. I, I don't know what a, what a, um, uh, four day pass costs you, but I'll bet it's, uh, 
I don't know, hundred dollars, 75, 150, something like that. Mm. So <clears throat> they, you can't just walk up and, and walk in. Uh, you would have had to have, uh, get your pass early on. Uh, and you got to have some credentials that you're in the outdoor uh, industry in order to attend this thing. So uh, I don't know um, how many thousands of booths they have there. It's on a couple floors. I think it's now this year, it's going to be on a, an additional site as well. Uh, this thing has grown to just a mammoth um, in size. It's it's unbelievable how big this is. Uh, but it's anything outdoor related. But we've also started seeing a lot of tactical um, companies come in and are exhibiting. You're going to find all the <clears throat> major gun manufacturers are there. <clears throat> Pretty much all of the remote training collar companies will be there on a smaller scale. Uh, some of the booths that these uh, gun companies put up are, are amazing, Tom. They're the size of your house. Wow. So, <clears throat> Very much outdoor related, uh, everything that's there. Yeah, that sounds. I'm 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 excited. Uh, when I got invited to to come and hang out with you guys for the week, I was like, yeah, sure. What is it? <laughs> yeah. And now yeah. I started uh, doing some research on it, and um, I know some other companies that are going to be there. And uh, a couple of people have messaged me saying that they were going to be there doing some demonstrations, which is cool, and like yeah. the tactical field um, side. But yeah, so I'm I'm really excited about that. And I know we're doing um, for for the listeners out there. If if, if it's something that you can't uh, attend, obviously because of your location or your your credentials and in, in getting into the show, um, we're going to do a live uh, Instagram live and Facebook live on the Dogtra social media. So we're going to be answering questions and going live. And, um, I'm going to be kind of walking you through our booth a little bit and, and going over what we're doing and all the shenanigans that we're doing. And, um, so that's, that's going to be, a, that's going to be an exciting thing. And, um, so Pete, uh, you're going to be there the whole, the whole week. Uh, I arrived Sunday night with booth set up. <clears throat> okay. And then I depart early Friday morning, uh, the last day of the show, which is normally the least busy uh, day of the show, but our uh, Monday's booth set up Tuesday is the opening of the show Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. <clears throat> I'll be at the booth pretty much from start to finish. Um, <clears throat> excuse me each and every day. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Um, okay. Well, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, Pete. Do you have anything else you want to, um, to say to the, to the people out there or, or do you feel like you've got an, got enough off your, your chest for today? Yeah, we could, you know, I, you and I are very much like we could, we could have done this for two hours. And, oh yeah. You know, we've, we've, uh, I don't even know, I haven't looked at a clock, but we've probably been doing this for close to an hour yep. and it seems like only 10 minutes, but <laughs> you know, I'm like you, Tom, I have a passion for dogs. I have the passion for a well-trained dog. Uh, I'm a, I'm a proponent of the remote training collar. I work for a company now that sells a pretty high end training collar. I've seen the value of this product yeah. for years. I'd like to think I kind of know it in and out. And, and, um, I'm very, very, uh, always very interested in, in what, what can be done with it and the new technology. And you'll see some of our new technology we're coming out with at the show as well, Tom, that's always kind of exciting, but, um, you and I could go, we maybe need to do another one of these and yeah. we can pass some things over. Um, I think one of the things that, uh, if we can get the, the listeners to, uh, chime in, uh, the days of the shot show, when we're doing those Facebook live might be kind of fun. Uh, they can yeah. ask questions. Uh, you and I'll be there and, uh, and we've got a, a guy by the name of Cody Glancy, the Kentucky Cooner, we call him on YouTube. Yeah, tell me, and, uh, tell me a little bit more about him. Um, I was, I was on a conference call with Steve and Lorraine yesterday, and they were telling me about yep. Cody. What, what, what's, what does he, what does he do? Uh, Cody, Cody's a barber by trade, uh, but he's uh, knows our GPS system in and out. He's a, he's a coon hunter, and great guy. I've met him uh, when I was down in uh, Indiana here a couple of years ago, and 
he and I kind of got, you know, got connected the same way you and I did on a phone call. And uh, I think uh, he called the company first and said, Hey, do you got somebody I can talk to? And they sent him over to talk to Pete out in Minnesota. And he and I uh, got to know each other, developed a friendship. And he does a lot of things for the company similar to you do, but more so in the coon hunting, the GPS sector. Uh, mm-hmm. You'll love him. He's a great guy, good guy to BS with. Uh, we're going to have the three of us that have a lot of fun out there. And, and uh, so I'm really looking forward to that, but he'll, he'll be there to, uh, we'll have him on the uh, Facebook live to talk to the, to the uh, coon hunters and the people that want to know about our GPS product because he really knows it in and out. And uh, so that's why we got him there. And then, and then you and I, I guess, are just there for, for eye candy, just for looks. So. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Me too, Pete. And and what I'm gonna do is uh, on my Instagram, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna announce all the times that we're gonna go live, and uh, I want to chat yeah. with chat with everybody on Facebook and on Instagram. That'll be a lot of fun, and people can get an inside look of Shot Show and what we're what we're up to. And um, yeah, I think we'll do this again, Pete. And uh, I appreciate your time. And we will see you in a couple weeks. Very good. Sounds good. Stay warm. All right, man. We'll talk to you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. All right, guys, that's the wrap-up for, for Pete and Dogcha. Thank you, Pete, for coming on. Very insightful. I learned a lot. I hope that uh, you guys as listeners got some insight and learned some new things about e-collar history and um, Dogtra and its brand. And I, I really enjoyed it, and I look forward to SHOT Show here in a couple weeks. And again, um, if you guys don't follow me on Instagram, you can, at Tom Davis. I'm going to be announcing we're going to go live, and I'm going to answer as many questions as I possibly can about you and your dog and any remote collar training. And if you guys are going to be at SHOT Show, uh, we can we can see you there. And I appreciate y'all. Peace. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.